everybody. Um, Pastor Ryan, for those of you that don't know, and I'll be leading our time in the Word today. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Psalm 139. So just about in the middle, a little bit to the right, um, and uh, we will, your right, not my right, and uh, we'll be diving in. So we're leading, uh, uh, we're going through a series that we're calling Power Psalms, and so we're just, uh, we sat down and looked at uh, all the different Psalms and the ones that really stuck out uh, to us that we really um, really felt like they will add something to our church body as we learn and as we walk through these different Psalms. Um, feel like we're going to be able to pull a lot out today uh, from the Psalms. And uh, this morning's sermon, I don't think we got, we couldn't fit the sermon title up there, but the, the title is in your, uh, your bulletins, is uh, God's Infatuation with Humanity. And uh, it's just, um, you know, when you look at the the total of Scripture, when you look from front to finish, uh, the one thing and the one conclusion that somebody has to come to if they read this cover to cover, the one conclusion we have to come through is that God is infatuated with humanity. I mean, you think about the makeup of the Scriptures, that within uh, just the first couple chapters, we see that God created, that God fashions man, He forms man, uh, and, uh, and takes time to do that, that it's not uh, just that God thinks and all of a sudden we are, but God, uh, Genesis chapter 2 says that he formed uh, man in his own image. Chapter 1 echoes the same thing. Um, and so you've got creation, God fashions man, you've got uh, this gift that is given to man uh, after he fashions him, and that gift is free will. And so God on some level gives you an, an, an amount of free will to decide to choose to love him or not to love him. Now, we can go in and, and preach a 50-year uh, sermon and trying to figure out a sermon series and trying to figure out how much that God has given us, but we know one thing, that there's a response to the gospel. We know that there's a response to God when he calls you, that God may awaken you, but on some level you respond. And so God gives this free will uh, to man and what man does with this free will. See, God gave it to us so that we would uh, not just be a robot that had to worship and praise God, but that it would be a choice to love God back. And so God gives you the choice. Um, and with that choice, we see very clearly through Adam and Eve that man chose to uh, rebel against God, uh, that we chose uh, death and separation from God when we chose that. That God gave, you, gave uh, Adam and Eve, and we all have made the same decision, but God gave Adam and Eve uh, the gift of free will to choose to worship Him, and with that they chose something else. They said, there's something else that I want, and through that the relationship is severed and it's separated, and then you've got a promise given, and this is the exciting part, and this sets the stage for the rest of Scripture, from Genesis chapter 3 to the rest of Scripture, and that's the promise being uh, played out. And the promise of God is that He will send a Savior, that He will send a Redeemer, that He is a God that is not just going to let you flounder in rebellion and away from Him, but He's going to send uh, His Son, a Savior, to pay your and my sin fine. It's God's promise, and we see that it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. What kind of God bends down and serves the very people that crucified him? Like, it, it, infatuation, in my mind, is the only word to describe this. Like, uh, have you ever, um, I'm going to try to describe infatuation and, and do the best that I can, but um, 
Have you ever been in love and you've done some crazy things? Uh, have you ever? <laughs> yes? All right. All the guys waved their heads. None of the ladies did. So that's probably biblical, right? Um, but so this is a story pre-Molly. So I, apologize. I was not in love. I thought I was in love. You know when you're like a teenager, a young teenager is really not like dating, but you're sort of like butterfly-y, you know? And so I learned that this girl, I guess I was like 16, 17, uh, there was this girl uh, that I really liked, and I found out that she worked at McDonald's, and it was, uh, it was leading to March, and so McDonald's has this thing in March, and it's the Shamrock Shakes. And, and she, so every single day of the calendar that the Shamrock Shake was available, I would go to McDonald's because I thought I was in love. Like, I thought that was love. That ain't love. Then I met Molly, and I was like, boom, that's love, right? But, but I thought I was, I was becoming infatuated with her, and I was becoming fat in the process. But I would go there, and literally, I remember one night, I went there three times for three shamrock shakes. So I'm like giving them, you know, homeless people on the street, and I'm like, I'm just going to go to McDonald's. You want one? You know, so, um, but I, would, I, I just remember this uh, uh, just these feelings that were erupting in me, and I'm trying to figure out, all right, how do I put, is this right? Um, but it was consuming my thoughts. It was wrecking my pocketbook, and it was, it was making me fat. That probably isn't a good example. God didn't get fat loving you. Um, but So I looked up the word infatuation in Webster's Dictionary, and here's what it says. A feeling of foolish or obsessively strong love. And so I, Molly and I are hanging out the other night, and I'm like, hun, I just can't find the word picture for this. And Molly's like, no, 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 it's Micah with his train sets. So when Micah was a little guy, um, we bought him a wooden train set. And he just thought this was like the greatest thing ever. And so in our house, it had like a butler's pantry and kitchen and dining room and foyer, and it, was all, it made a huge circle. And Micah would build train tracks halfway around some days, some days all the way around, but day in and day out, he would wake up thinking about trains. He was so obsessed about it, he would dress like a conductor. He had the little Oshkosh Bagosh overalls with the lines on them, and uh, he would get home, and he would hit the trains. He would leave, and he would cry because he'd have to pick up the trains. And then he'd come home, and it's a new adventure every day, but he was obsessed to the point where he would save his money to spend on the trains. Uh, he would plot and plan. I can remember being at Toys R Us, and there's 50 different companies that make wooden trains, and he's picking out the best, uh, best bang for his buck, like, where can I get the most trains? Because it was an absolute obsession that he had with train tracks. I want to, before we get too far, as we talk about this idea of infatuation, that God has this feeling that is borderline foolish or obsessively strong love, towards humanity. I want to put a little bit of a guardrail up. God never gives up his godness, his perfection, his holiness to pursue us. Like it's right for God to pursue us in the same way that it's right for a husband to pursue his wife and a husband to be infatuated with his wife. Uh, it is right and good for God to do that. God doesn't like say, well, I'm going to break rules and I'm going to, I'm going to set down my holiness to pursue you um, God doesn't do that. God stays perfect in his pursuit of you. I think that's an important point because I don't want to make God out to just be uh, like a man and bring him down to our terms to understand it. And I want to read, read for you uh, Psalm 139, and then we're going to go through and we're going to pick out six things in this psalm as it just shows God's absolute infatuation with you, that if you didn't know that God is infatuated with you and that God is pursuing your heart, 
I want to read through the psalm, and then we're going to dive through and look at it uh, together. Psalm 139, starting in verse 1. O God, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are well acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall overcome me, and the light about me is night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the light is as bright as, as the day. For darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from, hidden from you. When, you were, uh, when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days in which, uh, which were formed for me. And when I was yet, and when there was yet none of them, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they are more than, than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. I'm not going to finish the psalm. I'm going to stop right there. So, again, God's infatuation. I'm going to give you six points on God's infatuation for us. Number one, God goes beyond the surface level. God goes beyond the surface level. Psalm 139, uh, verse 1. And we're just going to go in order. O Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. This idea of searched is, uh, is the, the same word that they would use for like excavated, like dug down deep. So God doesn't just uh, love you. The psalmist doesn't just write. And again, remember, this guy's inspired by the Holy Spirit as he's writing these words. This guy knows without a shadow of a doubt that God has excavated the depths of him and God still loves him. Now, I don't know about you or me, but if somebody in the room knew all of my thoughts, that'd be a little scary. This guy is saying, no, 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 no. God is below, be, be, below, he's dug down deep, below surface level, in the depths of who he is. He's excavated everything out, and God still loves me. And he goes on to say, and the other word that he uses here is known. Uh, those of you that have, uh, are uh, into uh, the Hebrew, that's the word yada. And so it's just this deep, intimate knowing. Uh, it, it is, it's a, the same words that are used uh, for a husband knowing his wife. Just on this deep, interpersonal knowing. He knows your character. He knows your heart. He knows your intentions. He knows your hurts. He knows your longing. And, and here's the kicker. It's not just another person knowing you in the depths of you because they would reject you. This is the God of the universe, the sovereign over everything, the king over everything, creator of everything, sustainer of everything, searching you and knowing you and not rejecting you. Are you there? You think God's infatuated with you? He sees the depths of you and it doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter to Him because of His pursuit of you. God has better things to do. I mean, if there's a list of things that need to be done in the day for God, it's probably a pretty big list. There's probably a lot of caps locks and a lot of underlined words in there, right? Caps, caps words and underlined words because he's got this list of all the things and all the responsibilities that God's got, and yet he purposes to search you and know you. That's ridiculous. That's mind-blowing. I mean, so ladies, here's maybe a little bit of an analogy. Ladies, if you, uh, uh, how many of you are on Facebook? Just raise a little hand there. All right, so maybe you don't, maybe you don't want to. Um, but uh, if you all of a sudden go home and you see uh, that somebody's friend requested you and, and it was Tom Brady and, and you realize this dude's been searching on my Facebook page to know, to know me. Like, and, and you respond to that friend request and you realize that Tom Brady, every day he's leaving comments on your wall. Are you going to change a little bit on your wall? Are you going to be like, oh my gosh, and, and fixing your hair and putting the best pictures up and taking the bad ones down, right? Like, I mean, aren't you? I mean, I'm going to, at Tom Brady, man, if that guy, friend, friend requests me, I'm going to turn him down and reject him. But if Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> if Aaron Rodgers would, were to friend request me, I mean, I'm like, I'm going in the mirror and I'm like, you know, like, I, how, do I, how do I beautify myself, make myself look good, right? God saw the depths. <laughs> God saw underneath everything, underneath everything, all your closets. And he said, nope, nope, I'm infatuated with you. Like the psalmist wanted it on his own. He was speaking for everybody. God searched you, and God know, has known you. Number two, God even cares about the trivial Psalm 139, verses 2 through 4. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word was on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. And none of it repels God. Like if you were to watch me like video cam of Ryan all day long, there would just be periods where you're like, you know, I mean, like, really? Really? And the psalmist is saying, there's not a moment that I escape God's gaze. And again, he loses none of his godness to do that. So while he's watching Eric and while he's watching Curtis, he's watching me, he's, 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 his eyes are on you, in like a good way, not in like a creepy way, right? His eyes on you, and he is watching you when you sit down, when you lie down. He's better than Santa Claus, and he's watching you all the time. Even the trivial, it doesn't repel him in any way, right? Like in many marriages, so many couples verbalize like we've lost that love and feeling, you know, like we feel like something's just not, it's just not there anymore, it's like the worst thing that you hear in a counseling office. And it's usually not an excess of like anger or sin or pressure from the outside world. It's just the monotony of routine. That's why it takes work in marriage to stoke that fire and to keep it there with flowers and weekly dates, mini vacations, the occasional pink bag. Um, but God, God's love isn't like this. 
God's love doesn't need to be stoked at all for you. God doesn't need that at all. His love is deep. It's in his character. It's unshifting. Your trivial does not escape God's sight. God is fully pleased to do that. He's just like watching UTV all the time. I'd say God too, but that'd be just cheesy, wouldn't it? Number three, God won't leave you alone. Psalm 139, 5 through 10. Five, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. I've taken this and I've preached this, this verse, you hem me in, over and over and over again. And I didn't pick up something in this. This is not just God's protection. Like I've always thought, oh, God hems me in. God surrounds me with a, a hedge of protection. And, and, and I've, I've preached that. I've, I've taught that. I don't think it's too far from what the guy is trying to communicate here. But the reality is, this guy can't get away from God, and this guy wants to get away from God. There are kind of two different things that show up repeatedly in the Psalms, and that's praise, and that's uh, sort of lament, or like, oh, I feel kind of bad inside. And, and this could very well be a part of the lamenting of the person as he's praising God. He's like, you hem me in. Uh, to be hemmed in, or some of your versions may have said to be besieged in, uh, to, to be hemmed in is to be surrounded uh, by an army. And so God is surrounding you by an army. Now, part of it is for protection. Yes, there's plenty of things that we can go in that direction. But this guy feels like he can't escape. I mean, listen to this guy. You hem me in behind him before you lay your hand upon me. There is a pressure on this guy because of God. You ever feel God's pressure? Hopefully you have. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. He's saying, I could go to heaven and God is there. I could go down to hell and God is still there. There's no place, no way of escape. That's comforting and terrifying in the same sentence. Because there is nothing that you can do that God will not see or nowhere you can go where, God, uh, where you can escape God from. You can't run from Him. You can't hide from Him. You can't fly away. His presence is palatable. His presence is palatable. He's drawing you to seek Him day in and day out. Right? Have you ever just thought, I'm going to just put my Christian card on a shelf and then I'm going to put a book in front of it? And then I'm going to go do what I want. And then when I come home, I'm going to grab my Christian card and put it back in my wallet. And nobody will be the wiser. Have you ever thought you can do things and get away with it? Have you ever thought you could feel feelings and really dwell on them and get away with it without God's spirit pricking your heart? That is God's pursuit for you. That is God's passion for you. God knows that he is the fulfillment of what you need. 
He is the object that you are to pursue. Money doesn't satisfy. Um, lust doesn't satisfy. Highs won't last. None of it will bring lasting joy. And so God pursues you and God pressures you and God doesn't let you get comfortable with things that aren't of Him because God knows that He's your greatest joy and He's driving you to seek Him back. That's why you feel that weight when you try to rebel from God. And if you rebel long enough and you don't feel the weight, that's when you get worried. That's when you get worried because are you really His? As I was coming to faith, everything began to lose flavor. And I hope you, I hope that can, not just food. Everything in life began to lose flavor. When I, when I was in the process of God drawing me to start following him as a 19-year-old kid, everything in life just seemed like money, eh, like cool stuff, eh. Everything began to lose flavor. And the only thing that satisfied was a relationship with God. So God does this whole hemming in as he's leading us to begin a relationship with him. You feel like no matter where you go, God's put Christians all around you and you're like, dang it, again? You know? Or, uh, or you may be on the other side, you're following Christ and you're just like, you just feel like, God, there's this weight, there's this pressure there's these things that you call me to, God, that I can't do on my own, and I need you to fulfill them. I need your help. That's God hemming you in. That's not something to be frightened about and run from. That's something to lay into his embrace and move forward in. God has hemmed you in because he loved you. Why are you running? Number four. The darkest moments are not intimidating to him. The darkest moments are not intimidating to him. I can't tell in verse 11 or 12 if the dude is talking about depression or living in sin. I can't. It's one of the two. It may be both. We'll just do it as both. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall, come, uh, so shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day for darkness is as light with you. So this guy is saying like, either number one, there's a darkness that we feel, like it's emotional. It's like I'm, I'm going into this realm of uh, just feeling depressed and there's this darkness over me and God is not intimidated by the darkness of my emotions and so God pursues me. Is that too heady or weird? I, I hope that's not. But like it's either a darkness that we feel that it's inside of us emotionally that, God, I just feel dark. And yet God still meets him there and is not prevented from seeking him there. Or it's a darkness that this psalmist creates. That he says, ooh, it's, it's night. And I'm under cover of night, so I can do what I want. And I'm going to pursue sin. I'm going to pursue it. Because I'm covered and... God can't see me. God sees everything. Everything is laid bare. And he says at the end of it, he knows it. He's like, no, no, no. Even the darkness became light because God was there. God was even there in my darkness. Whatever the darkness was, God was there. God either met him in his sin or met him in a spot of just being emotionally overwhelmed. And God met this guy. 
God met this guy like a flashlight staring down. God is so infatuated with you that he will not allow his children, the object of his affection, to get comfortable in their sin or to be uh, led astray thinking they're all alone in their depression. Number five, God is infatuated as seen uh, in that he was and is hands-on. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. For I praise you, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. And when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, you saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when there was yet, when there was yet none of them. God saw your unformed substance. The, the Hebrew word here is a ball of yarn not yet knit into something great. So when you were just goo in and you were being formed in your mother and, and God, was, God was there, he saw what looked completely unformed and he knew he had a plan, he had a purpose, he was working even there. God was fully hands-on and God still is a fully hands-on God. That's what he does. He was there at the beginning of the moment of conception, uh, the, the moment that um, conception happened, God's hands and his plan were at work. Another place in scripture uh, says that before uh, the world began, that God already had a plan for you. God already had a purpose for you. God knows it all. And God still pursued you and God still loved you. Loved you. Well, you were just a ball of yarn. God's infatuation with you was already there. He's like, that's my goo. That's mine. I'm working there. This is the verse where we, uh, this is the verse where we uh, get our stance as a church, as a, uh, a Christian, um, uh, Christian religion on the sanctity of life. This is the very verses. That God loves the moment of conception and on. God loved the child and is involved, and this is why we protect and this is why uh, having a, a different stance on abortion um, is just a non-negotiable in the Christian church. And the only thing I'd add to that is not only do we need to, to preach that it's a non-negotiable in the church, but we also have to provide a better option uh, for those ladies also where we fail on either end of it to be Christians and to really walk this out. But this is right where we get it. God is involved and he's hands-on. I mean, think about it. When you have been just in a spot of utter, you just, man, you don't know which way to go. You don't know whether to go right or to go left. And then you pray and the peace of God just descends on you. And you're like, wow, that was God. God is hands on. Number six, God's infatuation with you defies reason as we understand it. Psalm 139 verses 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they were more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. How vast the sum of God's thoughts. God is uh, omniscient. He's all-knowing. Uh, and yet he answers prayer and sustains your strength and pours out blessing and allows fruit to come into your life in certain seasons. And this guy's like, wow, God's thoughts are just so great. And he said this whole time, but 
I'm in his thoughts, and God thinks about me in all of his great thoughts. And then he answers at the end of this, or he says at the end of this, makes a statement, I wake and I'm still with you. I wake and I'm still with you. I'll never forget um, the morning after uh, Molly and I were married, and you know, there's this great courtship, and, and I loved it, and I'm just realizing I totally forgot to tell Molly I'm going to talk about our wedding night. Um, but uh, but we, we wake up, we're talking about wedding morning, talk about wedding morning. Um, but I woke up, and it's like, wow, I'm still with her. And 16 and a half years later, I wake up in the morning, and I think, wow, I'm still with her. That's the same thought that we should have about God. We wake up in the morning, and God has not left you. God is still with you. That's incredible. Yet he's so high above and yet so committed to us. God's infatuated with you, church. Do you get that? Back to Micah's train infatuation. He's pretty much over it for the most part. Um, but uh, a couple years ago, I went on a mission trip uh, to a remote village in Nicaragua uh, with his brother Aaron, actually. And uh, Micah had heard stories about all the kids that were there, and we had done drives for different clothes and, and different items for the kids. Um, and Micah came to Molly and I uh, with a handful of his favorite toys. And uh, they were his train tracks. And so Micah spent his own money to buy these things. Um, some of them I spent my own money on and was sort of like, you sure you want to get rid of that one? That's a really cool train. But he didn't just pick the trash in the bottom. He didn't just pick the lint off from the bottom of the toy box. He picked out his favorite trains, and he picked out like six of them. And he handed the trains to Aaron and I, and he said, I want you to take these. And Micah's three or four years old at this point. And he said, I want you to take my favorite trains, and I want you to give them to the kids that didn't have any toys to play with. And as a parent, you're like, I'm buying that kid a new TV. You know, like, <laughs> I'm like, wow, that was good. Um, but Molly and I are sort of, I mean, you're sort of like, that's a drastic response with something that you love. And we watched our son love someone he didn't know and then sacrifice them. And he didn't just take the trash, but he gave his best. It's, not, it, it's a good marker and a good feeling story, but it's not even close to how drastic of a response God had towards you and I. God's infatuation with humanity caused him to do something drastic. He saw us and knew that we were separated because of our sin. And yet he decided to erase that debt by sending his son to a cross and allowing men to nail him there and crucify him. He died. They pierced his side. They buried him so that you and I could go free. If that's not infatuation with us, that demands a daily response from us, I don't know what is. And I don't know what the response should be to that. I'm, I'm just being honest. I mean, I'm going to read the, the psalmist response. Uh, he goes into like a three or four verse dirge. It's almost comedical. He's like, God, I hate the people you hate. And he, and he goes and he talks about that. But then we get down to verse 23. And his response, and you respond how God calls you to respond. Jacob's going to make his way up there and, 
And we're going to get ready for one last song. But the psalmist's response is verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. He gives God license to get up in his business. And he says, try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me. He gave God license. And then he said, God, continue to peer into my soul. If there's anything dirty in me that would come between you and I, show me. And then he said, lead me. Lead me in the way everlasting. There is one way for you personally that is everlasting. And, and, and that way is God's way. This guy submits to him, and God guides him. Um, if you're here and you don't have that relationship with God that we talk about, or you're just hearing for the first time, or understanding for the first time that God is infatuated for you with you, there are two responses that must take place to start this relationship with God. Number one is that you believe. John 1.12 says that if we believe and receive, then we're His. That you agree with God about your sin. God, I'm going to believe in you, that you died for me, you went to the cross for me, you rose again to give me new life. And then in that, we see that we were the ones that sinned, that caused Him to go to the cross. And then secondly, we receive. We accept the message and the grace of God personally that we verbalize this decision to follow him. Believer, I don't know how you respond. I know how the psalmist responds. I know how this makes me want to respond. But you know how to respond because God's Spirit's the one that speaks to you, not me. If you stand, uh, we're going to have a couple people up front, prayer counselors. If you need prayer, feel free to come forward. You can just stand in your spot and worship. You can pray with somebody that looks spiritual next to you. Um, but I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go into worship. God, thank you so much um, that you're a God that's worthy of all of our praise. God, we could sing about you every second of the day and it wouldn't be enough. You deserve more. God, I pray that you would um, help us to find you uh, this morning in a deeper way than when we walked in. God, I pray that you'd speak and we'd respond well. In Christ's name, amen. like a hurricane I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy when all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are in that Great your affections are for me And oh, how he loves us so And we 
are his portion and he is our prize drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes if grace is an ocean we're all sinking so heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss my heart turns violently inside of my chest i don't have time to maintain these regrets when i think about the way he loves us oh how he loves us oh how he loves us oh how he loves yeah he loves us We're going to be tearing the whole stage down today because we're going to be putting a new wall up here in front uh, this afternoon. And so if you have a couple minutes to help us move chairs in the front two rows to the side and then clear the stage, we'd appreciate it. Don't worry about it if you can't. And Jamie, if you close us out in prayer, that'd be great.